Welcome to Grace Church. It's great to have you this morning. My name is Justin Ross, lead pastor here at Grace, and we are continuing our series through a letter in the scriptures called Colossians. And it was a letter that Paul and Timothy, two men, wrote to a, a group of people in the city of Colossae. It was a New Testament city, and it was a, it was a body of, of followers of God, just kind of similar to this. Men and women and children who were pursuing the things of God, trying to to live out the ways of God. And Paul and Timothy are writing to these people to help them stay on the right path. And that is towards Jesus Christ. They were starting to believe falsely that there was other things you had to add to the gospel. Like Jesus was not enough. It was Jesus plus other things. You had to to add good works. You had to be good enough. You had to do certain things. You had to be a part of a certain group. You had to be a certain ethnicity. You had to... Uh, you know, talk to a certain holy man or you had to be in a certain holy place. And Paul and Timothy is saying that's not true of the gospel. That's not what it's about. It's Jesus plus nothing. That's what it's about. It's only about Jesus Christ. You don't have to be good enough. As a matter of fact, you cannot be good enough. It's just Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the light. Throughout this series kind of catching you up to speed. Maybe this is your first Sunday here at Grace, your first time to to be at church, maybe in a long time. And I just want to help you understand where we are. But Paul and Timothy asked, in the greatest letter ever written in the history of mankind, they asked the greatest question. And that is, why do I have worth? You may be sitting here this morning and you're thinking like, man, why do I have worth? Seven plus billion people on the planet, you know, thousands and billions of stars in the galaxy. Why am I significant? Why do I have worth? And Paul and Timothy said, you are worthy. You have worth because God personally made you. God personally designed you. He imagined you. The scriptures say that God knit you together in your mother's womb. And that led to the second question where we often ask, okay, if I have worth, then why am I here? Like, is my job just to, or is my, uh, is my life just to work this job and make money and then die? Like, that, that doesn't motivate me. Like, that, that doesn't inspire me to live life. Like, why am I here? What is the purpose of life? And Paul and Timothy said, the purpose of life, the reason you're here is for him, is for his glory. He made you for Him. He designed you personally. He took personal interest in you. And He made you for Him, for His glory. And then last week, not only are we reading the greatest letter ever written, not only did they answer the two greatest questions ever asked in the history of mankind, but then they gave us the greatest idea ever thought in the history of mankind. And they said, everything you do, you need to do it to the glory of God. That doesn't matter what you do, okay? Whatever you do for a living, whatever you do for vocation, if, if you're a father or a mother, you're a grandmother or a grandfather, okay? If you work in the fast food industry, if, if you're a pastor of a church, if you herd elk or buffalo or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And as we've been walking through this text 
this letter written by Paul and Timothy. They were sitting in prison, remember, as they were writing this letter. And why were they in prison? They didn't rob a bank. They didn't kill people. Okay, they were sitting in prison because they were teaching about Jesus Christ. They were sitting in prison because they were trying to help people. They were trying to show people the way. And they were reminding us of who we are in Christ. Who we are in Jesus. And it has allowed us to see how it works itself out in our everyday life. When we come to this particular text today, it's, it's going to get all up in our business. All right, It's going to get downright personal this morning. So brace yourselves. I hope you're ready. And just remember, I'm the mailman. Okay, I'm just delivering the mail. So you've got to take it up with the Scriptures. You've got to take it up with God. But it's going to get uh, very personal this morning. I think sometimes we think, you know, my faith in God, that's a private thing, Justin. Like, that's, that's really none of your business. That's between me and God. My, my religion, you could say. My faith in God is just between me and God. It's an internal thing. But just to kind of start right out of the gates... I want to say, you're wrong. It's not a private thing. It's actually something that should be evident in the way we live. People should see a difference in your life because of Jesus Christ. They should see a difference in the way you speak. They should see a difference in the way you treat your spouse. They should see a difference in the way you are at work. They should see a difference in your life. So faith is not really a private thing because it should evidence itself in every area of our life. When Christ comes to live inside of you and me, when we join our lives up with Him and His great story for His great glory, ultimately Christ changes you. He transforms you from the inside out. He makes you different than who you were. We talked last Sunday of how the old man, the old woman is done away with. The old you is gone. The new you in Christ is brought to life. We are to intentionally take off the old man. And every morning, we intentionally put on the new man. We intentionally put on the new woman. And we walk in the victory and the freedom of Christ. Ultimately, Christ changes us. He transforms us. And when we're transformed, that dominoes into every area of our life. It it, it changes us. There should be an evident difference in your life. You see, our faith may be between us and God, but ultimately that faith is going to be displayed in every area of our lives. And when we come to this particular text, we're going to talk about the most important areas of our lives. And those are our relationships. Paul and Timothy, they talk about marriage. They talk about parenting. And they talk about our our work and who we work for. They're going to talk about our relationships today. The most important things are those closest to us. So the first thing we see in the text today is the beautiful relationship of marriage. Now, I know every one of us that are engaging with this sermon today, um, not every one of us uh, come from a background of faith. You know, all this this stuff with Scripture, it might be really new to you. Um, You know, this this relationship with the God of the universe, it might be really foreign to you. Um, Even just church, you know, it it might just be brand new. 
having a, a relationship connection with God's people, it might just be really foreign to you. It may not be God's plan for every one of us to be married. But we can obviously see that marriage is on display throughout all the epistles of of Paul, all the letters that he wrote. Marriage is on display all throughout Scripture. God gives us a framework for how our new faith, our new identity, our new relationship in Christ, it works its way out into our relationships. Now, now before we dive into marriage, before we dive into parenting and into, you know, how we raise our kids and how we are supposed to function at work, let's think about the culture that this letter was written to. Okay, We are reading a very ancient text when we read the letter called Colossians. It's a very old letter, and it was written to a completely different culture than what we are accustomed to. Several thousand years ago, this text was introduced into this city of Colossae, into this culture. And at that time, women had very few rights. They didn't have any rights, to be honest with you. They were often treated just like livestock. Okay? They, they couldn't uh, participate in, in what men could participate. They couldn't own property. They couldn't own a business. And the weight of that culture rested with the man. Also in this culture, slave ownership was still a reality. It was still something that, that people, uh, they had slaves in this culture in Colossae. You know, slave ownership was a reality in our own country up until just a few decades ago. So it's not too foreign. We're not talking about something we can't wrap our minds around. And let me just be very clear, kind of coming out of the gates here this morning, that Scripture is not condoning, it's not approving anything about this culture. What, what Scripture is doing is it's speaking the transforming power or the relationship that we have with Jesus into the culture. It's not condoning the culture. It's just speaking into the culture. So what does that mean for us? Two important things that we need to understand as we move forward. I know some of us are new to faith. We're new to Scripture. We're new to this whole thing. Um, you know, having a relationship with God, being in church, And you might be saying, man, is God saying that it's okay to have slaves? You know, is God saying that it's okay for me to be a master? Is God saying that it's okay for women not to have equal rights in society? Is God saying that men are better than women? You know, you can have these questions. And I just want to be very, very clear from the beginning and say, absolutely not. The Bible is not teaching that. What the Bible is doing is it's speaking into the moment. It's speaking into this culture that existed. When Paul wrote this letter, he's speaking into this culture with the heart and the transforming power of Christ. He's not condoning it, not approving it. He's speaking into it. Does that make sense to you? All right, go ahead and nod your heads. If it doesn't, I'll keep going and try to help it make sense, all right? Everybody's like, yeah, it makes sense. So like, hurry up. So earlier in the letter, we've already seen that in Christ there is no hierarchy. Nobody is better than anyone else. Remember, there's no secret society. There's no special knowledge. There's no insider's club. Paul says that all of this gospel, 
all of this good news of Jesus is available to anyone, man, woman, child, any ethnicity, any cultural background. The gospel is for everyone, period. Whether you're male or female, whether you are uh, a slave or a free, whether you are Jew or whether you, you, know, you don't have any connection to the Jewish faith and all of the history of the people of God. Like, the gospel comes in, the cross is proclaimed, and anyone and everyone, wherever they are, has full access to the grace, to the mercy of God, to the love of God in the person of Christ. They have full access to become a son or a daughter of God. A brand new person. A brand new you in Christ. So that's really the heart of the message of this letter of Colossians. We're not condoning the culture. This is just what it was when the word came. The second thing that we need to recognize today is that God always wants to speak into our circumstances with the reality of an internal revolution. He wants to speak into your circumstances with the reality of an internal difference. You have been changed. It's not about your circumstances. It's about who you are in the, on the inside in Christ. What does that mean? It means you, you may be in a terrible marriage right now. You may work for a boss who is a jerk, really big jerk. You, you may be, you know, you may have children that are just going full steam ahead like guns blazing on the wrong path, like opposite of the direction of God. Your circumstances may be chaotic right now. But that doesn't necessarily necessitate that the circumstances have to change. The circumstances don't have to change for God to revolutionize you right in the middle of those circumstances. Right in the middle of that chaos, God can, he can do a work inside of you that is truly miraculous. And that's pretty powerful. That's pretty amazing that God can work in such a way. And that is the potential of, living, of the living Christ within us. That's what Christ can do. That's what he's been doing all throughout history is he takes brokenness and he turns it into something beautiful. That's what, he's, that's what his business is. That's what he's good at. Now I know as we start this text, we're going to receive a few encouragements from this text. I kind of wanted to give you a backdrop, helping us understand kind of the context and the culture that we're dealing with. But the first thing we read right out of the gates is going to be difficult for some of us. The first thing we read is this. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. (laughs) I know, man, when some of you hear that verse, you just immediately feel nauseous. You're like, what? Like, I don't want to be second in command to that guy, you know? I don't want to be second in command to to the man in my life. But see, God gives order to life. You can look at anything in life and there's order to it. There's structure. He gives order to life. You see it all through Scripture. He he never says that one person is better than the other person. He never says that one person is more valuable than the other person. 
But he does say that the husband is the leader of the home. Now, before we move on any further, I have to remind us that this is the ideal. God is giving us a picture of what he dreamt, of the way he would want it to work. This is the ideal. And you and I both know that it doesn't always look this way in real life. You and I know that there are relationships that are broken, that are messy. We're broken individuals. We're messy. And it often doesn't look like this. But this is the ideal that God is painting for us. Paul is encouraging the wives by saying, come under the leadership of your husband. And that doesn't mean that you have to walk five steps behind him, you know? That doesn't mean that when he walks into the room, you have to lower your head and look at the ground, you know? That doesn't mean that. It means that you recognize that God is giving structure, that God is giving order. And I know for me, it would be really hard to find a woman who doesn't want, deep down, if they're honest. Okay, ladies, be honest. Don't raise your hands, okay? That would be awkward. But um, deep down, a woman that says, I would love to have a godly man in my life who leads me spiritually, who leads our family spiritually. Man, I would love to have a man in my life like that. It would be hard to find a woman who says, I would love to find a godly man who will lead our house, who will lead me, who will lead our family, who will lead our kids, who will blaze a trail for us to be all that God wants us to be. Full of adventure, full of life, full of joy and purpose and hope. You see, that's the picture that's in God's mind when He's saying, wives, submit to the leadership that God wants you to have in your home. That's the type of leadership that He's picturing, a leadership that that is pointing you and your children and your family to Jesus Christ. But then without even taking a breath, the Apostle Paul says, husbands, love your wives. Now we know from Paul's other writings that he's not just talking about a simple, you know, like give them a Valentine's Day card on Valentine's Day once a year, you know. He's not just talking about the type of love where you need to take them on a date every once in a while. He's talking about sacrificially giving your life away for the sake of your wife. And doing it in the same way that Jesus did when He gave His life for the church. Check it out in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. It's another letter that Paul is writing. He's writing to another church in Ephesus. And, and he says this. He says, for husbands, okay? If you're a husband, wake up. He's talking to you. Take some notes. This is for you, okay, fellas? For husbands, this means love your wives, okay? Love your wife. Just as Christ loved the church, He gave up His life for her. And that's what God is picturing, this this type of leadership from the husband that is, man, blazing a trail towards Jesus Christ. Uh, The leadership from the husband is sacrificial. It's not just kind of random, just giving cards every once in a while, but no, it's a daily 
laying down your life for your wife. It's daily being a part of her life. It's daily adding value to her. It's, it's helping her with the dishes. It's doing it joyfully. It's being a part of the daily tasks in serving your wife. And see, when those two things are working in harmony, and the man is leading towards Jesus Christ, and the wife is under that leadership and championing the husband in that direction, when those two things are working in harmony, you have the most beautiful picture of marriage that you can find. A husband under God, God leading him, seeking to lead his family in a God-honoring way. And the wife says, I know that he's doing his very best to lead our family. And I like that he's leading our family. And I'm going to come under and I'm going to encourage and I'm going to support and I'm going to champion him as he leads our family. And then the husband is saying to compliment that, like, I love you, babe. I love you and I want to put you first and I want to serve you with everything that I've got. I'm not going to put work before you. I'm not going to put my buddies before you. Like, I want to serve you sacrificially. I want to honor you as my wife. I want to make sure that you're valued and cared for. I want to make sure that you're led well. And when those two things are working together, this, this whole story of Colossians, this whole story of the new you, this whole taking off the old you and putting on the new you, Now it's coming down to where the rubber meets the road. And it's meeting the road in our relationships. It's meeting the road where it starts to affect the people that you value and care about the most. It starts to affect your life. Listen, I know we don't get it right every day. We don't get it right all the time. There, there's so much brokenness. There's times that marriages don't work out. There's many times the husband is leading anywhere but towards Jesus. The husband isn't leading at all. There's times where the wife is just the opposite of submissive and you know is, is not honoring her husband, not cheering him on, and there's just it's just like fire and ice. And that's where the grace of God comes in. That's where God and His mercy comes in. And in spite of our jacked upness, in spite of our messed upness, God can do a work in your life. He can do a work in the midst of your messy circumstance. He can change you. He can transform you. He will and He can. We don't get it right all the time, but that is the picture. Man, a man that is like full steam ahead at Christ. A wife that is like, man, walking right beside him and they're both just pursuing the Lord. Like that is the picture that God is painting for us. That is what God wants for marriage. That is what God wants for the husband and the wife to become one in Christ, to have one mission, to have one great cause, and that is to glorify His name through their life through their marriage, through their relationship, and everything that they do. That's what God intends. That's the ideal. That's what He wants for you. Secondly, Paul, he shifts very quickly to the kids. Okay? He's talked about husbands and wives, and now he shifts to the kids. So if you're a kid in here this morning, 
I want, I want you to look up here at me real quick, all right? Yeah, stay focused. This is for you, all right? This is going to be good. Parents are going to say amen to this. Verse 20, Colossians chapter 3. Children, always obey your parents. Let me hear it, parents. Yeah, all right, all right, all right. For this pleases the Lord. Okay, this is pleasing. This is right in the sight of God. But then he comes right back to the parents. Okay, kids, you guys can say amen to this, all right? Verse 21, fathers, or you could say fathers, mothers, parents, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. (laughs) I'm not going to say whose kid that was, all right? Listen, he says, he says, parents, was that my kid? Oh, man. Shoot. <laughs> Anybody else want to come up and finish this message? All right. He says, parents, fathers, mothers, what he's saying is don't, don't push your kids to the brink. In, in other words, don't create an environment in your family where it's never good enough. That's what he means when he says, don't aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Don't create an environment where they never measure up, they're never good enough, it's never what you intended, they never get an attaboy from dad, they never get a love, I love you from mom. It's just, they, they can never measure up, they can never meet dad's expectations. They could have always done more. And, and what it does is it pushes the children, it pushes them to this point of desperation where they say, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm, I'm never going to measure up, I guess. And, and just from observation, from you know, over 20 years of ministry, that type of mindset from children, when they grow up, it leads to all kinds of crazy paths. When they don't feel like they measure up in the eyes of mom or dad, and they're never good enough, and they can never do enough, and they can never please mom and dad, it leads to some really, really bad places. But we've already seen in the text in this letter that we are acceptable to God through Christ. And there's so many of us that come from broken families. And maybe, maybe your dad, man, you never heard I love you or good job. Or you just you came from broken families. And I want you to hear this this morning. I want you to know that you are accepted in the eyes of God through Jesus Christ. He accepts you. You, you may never hear, I love you, from your earthly father, but your heavenly father says, I love you so much, I gave my life for you, and I would happily do it again. Because I love you that intensely. Remember the big statement that we talked about in earlier sermons, Colossians 1.20, it says, And through him, Jesus Christ, God reconciled everything to himself, and he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. You can have peace with God. In this world, we're going to have tribulations. In this world, we're going to have problems. Not everything's going to be peaceful. Not everything's going to be worked out. But you can have peace with your Heavenly Father. We now have peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. So if you're a parent and you understand grace... It's going to give you the source that you need to extend grace to the children that God has put in your life. It's going to give you the, the strength that you need to 
to steward the children that God has put in your life to lead and to love. And so he's saying, kids, you, you need to obey your parents and the Lord. Obey your parents and the things that they're leading you in. And again, I want to say this, kids, if, if your parents are messed up, if your parents are way off track and they're leading you to do things that are contrary to God, contrary to the ways of God, that's, God's not asking you to obey in those matters. The text isn't saying to do that. The text is assuming God's picture. The text is assuming that dad is pursuing Christ, that mom is pursuing Christ. And man, he says, get under that leadership. Get under that type of leadership. And if you have a mom or a dad who wants to lead the family to glorify God, you have a treasure. You have an incredible gift. Kids, get under the leadership of your dad, of your mom, as they pursue the lordship of Jesus Christ. I'm trying not to veer off, but I I have to say, my parents have been an incredible influence in my life. They didn't do everything perfect, but you know what? They were real. My dad was a pastor for 33 years. He was, you know, kind of, we lived in a glass house, you know. But he was real when he would stand behind a pulpit at the time, and he would deliver God's word, and he was real at home. I didn't see a dad in the public eye and a different dad at home. He was the same guy, flaws and all. Man, it impacted me. It impacted me having a dad that was real, that was genuine, that wasn't a fake. Colossians 1.8 says, Christ is also the head of the church, which is the body. He is the beginning. He's supreme over all who rise from the dead. He is the first in everything. So if you struggle with, which many do, and, and it's okay. okay. We're all kind of wrestling with things that we learn from the Scripture. We don't, we don't have it figured out. But if you're struggling with you know, submission or, you know, I got to you know, love my wife like Christ loved the church or I need to obey my parents, just, just remember this, that Christ is the boss. He is the head. He's the CEO. He is large and in charge. He's the head of the church. He's the head of the family. He's the head of dad. He's the head of mom. And so ultimately, what I am teaching this morning is come under the headship of Jesus Christ. That other stuff, man, it's going to... You're going to fail sometimes. You're going to get it sometimes. It can be messy at times, but ultimately come under the headship of Jesus Christ and you're going the right direction. Parents, we we can't just cut it short, though, and we can't just say, hey, kids, you need to obey me because the Bible says so. Okay, don't raise your hands, but, I mean, how many of you have heard this, you know, from parents? Like, you need to obey me. Why? Because the Bible says so. No, Paul says just as quickly that the kids need to obey their parents. Parents, you need to learn how to lead and to love your kids. And you need to learn how to do it well. The context is uh, speaking to marriages. It's speaking to parenting. And the third thing that Paul talks about is he talks about slaves and masters. Remember, the culture that we're talking to, slavery was still in existence. So the Bible is just addressing, it's speaking to the moment. 
in the heart of what Paul is talking about, he's basically saying, even in the context of slavery, even in that context, I want you to understand the power of the gospel. Paul says, even if you're a slave to a master, you can still experience the fullness of Christ in your life. You know, that says to me, and I believe it's saying to you, that no circumstance, okay, none of us are slaves here this morning, but no circumstance can short-circuit you from walking in the fullness of God. Nothing can. Nothing, no circumstance can keep you from walking in the power of God or experiencing everything that God has for your lives. But I think it's helpful for me because, you know, I obviously don't live in the context of slaves and masters, but I'm going to take this and I'm going to let it bleed over into the relationships in the workplace. You see, a lot of us are investing the majority of our lives. We spend the majority of our time at the workplace. Our, Our waking hours are spent working on a job at a vocation of some kind. And what God is saying is, the freeing power of the gospel is changing our perspective. It's changing the way we think. It's changing the way we see the world. And this is one of the biggest shifts that I believe any, any one of us can experience in life. And what is that shift? The shift is, I'm no longer doing what I'm doing for my boss. I'm doing it for the Lord. I'm going to work as though I was working for the Lord. I'm no longer just doing it for the board I'm no longer just doing it for the shareholders. I'm no longer doing it, you know, for my supervisor. I'm doing my work as if I was doing it for God. Look at verse 23. He says, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Why? Because you belong to him. Because I belong to him. I want to glorify him. I want to honor him. And then look at verse 17 of Colossians chapter 3. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. That was the greatest idea, remember, that has ever been thought. Man, anything I do, if I'm at the lake, if I'm at the grocery store, if I'm at church, if I'm at work, anything I do, I can do it to the glory of God. If I'm a heart surgeon, I want to do it for God. If I'm working in the fast food industry, I want to do it for God. If what I'm being asked to do, by, you know, my boss is asking me to do something and everybody sees it and it's kind of a big deal, I want to do it as if I was doing it for God. If my boss is asking me to do something and nobody notices, and I feel like, man, I don't even know why I'm doing this task, I want to do it as though I was doing it for God. Because He is in me. He is with me. Man, what a shift. What a change of mindset. That way of thinking, it gives your vocation greater glory for a greater story. It gives the work that you do great significance. Man, when you do it for God, it adds value to what you do. At the end of chapter 3, we're reminded that God sees everything. That God rewards faithfulness. You know, one of the biggest complaints in the workplace is that people feel like their work is insignificant, that it doesn't make a difference. I don't know why I'm doing this. I feel like my boss doesn't notice. I I don't get recognition. I don't get noticed. 
And man, Paul and Timothy give us a great reminder in verse 24. They say, hey, remember. Remember the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. Remember the Lord is watching. Remember the Lord takes notice. And that the master you are serving is Christ. And so maybe you get a promotion. Maybe you get a bonus. Maybe you, you get that commendation. Maybe you, you, know, you get that trip on a cruise from your company. Maybe you get, that, you, know, you get recognized or you get a shout out in a team meeting. Maybe someone recognizes you. Maybe someone doesn't. But you're living with this understanding that I live for God. I'm not doing this for my employer. I'm not doing this to I'm not doing this for my pastor. I'm doing this for God. I live for a bigger purpose than just a paycheck or or for some, you know, random people to recognize me. I do this for a bigger purpose than just to get recognized in the company newsletter. I live for God and His kingdom and for His glory. And He sees my work. He takes notice. He recognizes me. He knows my effort. And like it says in the text, He is going to reward my work. And then as if you were to take the other side of it, He says this in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, Masters, Be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. He says, treat them with respect. Treat them with honor and grace and with fairness. You know, the same way that God has treated you, you need to treat them. And thankfully, you know, we're living in a world that's trying to to eradicate slavery, but a lot of us are employers. A lot of us are bosses or supervisors or managers. And what he's saying is don't just tell your people what to do. Don't just tell your people, you know, what you expect of them. Show them. Show them how God values them. Show them how you've learned how God has come to value you. Show them. You see how in each one of these relationships, there's like an A side and a B side. Like wives submit, husbands love, kids obey, parents lead and love. Employees work as though you were working for God. Employers lead your people with the same grace, with the same mercy, the same kindness that God has extended to you. You see, the gospel is not just simply a private thing. The gospel was intended to work its way out in every part of our lives should be oozing out of us. Not only to change us, but to show the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus in our marriage, in our parenting, and in our vocations. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. This past Thursday and Friday of this week, we... uh, we hosted a, a leadership conference called the Global Leadership Summit. And we hosted it up at Fort Lewis College. And uh, we had over 120 leaders from our region there. And I know some people have even asked and maybe even wonder, like, why do we do this? Why do we host this event? And we do it because I truly believe that your faith in Christ is so much more than a sou- uh, an hour on Sunday. 
Your faith in Christ is, is 24-7. And as, as a pastor, my job is to help equip, is to help prepare you, not just on Sunday, but for your Monday through Saturday. And so this Leadership Summit, it teaches us and it, and it helps to equip, equip us and it, and it helps us to grow in our knowledge and our wisdom. And we had some incredible speakers and people were encouraged and blessed. Once again, we're doing this to prepare and to equip people for what we've just talked about, the everyday. We need to be ready for the everyday. We need to be ready and equipped and prepared for that. And so this conference, Thursday and Friday, man, we were blessed, we were inspired, we were encouraged. And uh, I want you to watch this video. It's just kind of a summary, kind of a recap of the event. And... Uh, I just want to invite you next year to, to, to partner with us, to join with us in this effort. It's a great tool, and it's something that you will walk away challenged, inspired, and blessed. So check out this highlight video about the GLS.